Hello and welcome back to I Promise It Won't Be Boring. I'm your host, Anne Verhoeven, and in each episode, my guests and I will revel in our most memorable travel adventures, discuss the high and lows of living abroad, and so much more. In this episode, we're continuing to explore the fuck-ups theme from episode one. Experiences range from the kind of inconvenient fuck-up that wounds your ego in the moment, but gives you a laugh later on, to something that makes you literally cry in public, to a humiliating border control situation, and finally, to a literal brush with death. Just a quick note about the sound being of varying quality. If my guests weren't recording from a makeshift studio in a closet like myself or an attic, then they were in some sort of exotic location, which is actually quite on theme. So please bear with us. So welcome to episode two, and I promise it won't be boring. To kick things off, meet Steph. My name is Stephanie, and I'm in my 30s. I am a Canadian that lives in Berlin. And actually, I've not just lived in Berlin in Canada, but I actually lived in Texas for a short amount of time. When I was in high school, I lived in London for just over five years, and now I've been in Berlin for the last six years. I work in marketing, um, in product marketing specifically, and I have a husband who is German, and I have a little boy who is German, but also Canadian, and he speaks both English and German, and a dog named Jake who just heard his name and he's perked up and he looks really cute. Steph's travel fuck up is short, sweet, and totally relatable. But before we get into that, I asked Steph what she misses the most about travel. One of the things I love about traveling is the adventure of it all, the randomness. I mean, I'm not one of those, you know, in my normal professional life, I love planning things. I mean, I have a whiteboard next to my desk in my home office where I'm writing a hit list every day, crossing things off. But when I travel, that is not how I roll. I don't have an itinerary. I'm not hoping to cross things off a list every day. I really like going with the flow. And with that means that I tend to meet a lot of really cool people when I travel. And... You know, Felix and I, when we've traveled together, we've met so many cool people and brought them back with us. Like randomly, like one of our really good friends in Berlin, we met in Bali and it just happened that she was also traveling there at the same time and also was from Berlin. And now she's part of our circle of friends, like an integral part of that. And she's brought in so many other of her friends that are now friends with our friends. So... This to me is the magic of travel and what I miss is this this idea of adventure, of meeting strangers and sharing, you know, breaking bread with strangers, sharing stories. And it, I think it builds empathy as a human as well. And, and this is what I miss when you're just like stuck in your four walls all the time. It isn't the same over Zoom. There's, there's a certain sort of like difference when it's in real life. And I really, really miss that. I really miss it. I really miss the smells, the feeling, like, as I said, like that electricity on your skin when you're in a new place and you feel the air is different, it's lighter or heavier or whatever, the smell of rain in a tropical Mm. area, like all of these things I really, really miss. The food is so different because the ingredients are coming from different places. Like, this is what I miss about travel. I really miss it. 
dodgy moment dodgy moment oh my god so many dodgy moments traveling one time felix and i this is so embarrassing this story this oh we're so stupid so you know that saying like something that's too good to be true is definitely too good to be true well when you're in those moments it turns out that your brain forgets that saying and just goes with it so we were in prague and I don't know why it was we've been living in London at the time and this was actually one of our honeymoons we went on three and this was, <laughs> this was one of them this was our excuse to go traveling we're like let's go to Prague I think we did Prague Amsterdam and Indonesia like we went to Bali so we did a few different we just basically traveled a lot after we got married because we both love traveling and so we went to Prague and we didn't realize that they don't use euros they have Czech Krona, I think is what it's called. And so we were like, crap, what do we do? We need to change money because all we brought with us is euros. And actually we'd exchange stupidly our pounds, I think, to euros. And then we're like, fuck, these don't work here either. Um, so we landed, we got on the train station um, from the airport and then there was a money changing place right there. And there was this man who walked out of the money changing place with a pouch, like a, a fanny pack, bum bag. And he was like, oh, do you want to change some money? We're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, here's a here's hundred bucks. Can you change it for us, a hundred euros? And he did. And we were super excited because he gave us a great exchange rate. Um, went, <laughs> went and sat down at a restaurant we're so excited like yeah this is an awesome trip order whatever we want have some wine it was like 12 o'clock go to pay and they're like that is russian money that you're giving us and it is like 30 years out of date and we're like fuck (laughs) we hadn't even checked like which is kind of a joke because it's the czech republic we hadn't even checked uh the money at all we were just so excited because i think the exchange rate was like 10 percent more than you know the normal exchange rate like so it was the too good to be true offer and we totally lost that money so yeah we commiserated a bit that day <laughs> to get our heart racing a little bit more meet emma emma is from the uk and lives here in berlin as well Emma is a super inspiring woman, both personally and professionally, who I met back in 2017 while living in London. And by chance, we both moved to Berlin around the same time and have been pretty inseparable ever since. Emma will be making plenty more appearances on upcoming episodes. This particular faux pas has to be one of the most stressful things that can happen to you as a traveller. While it's definitely not life or death, it can be seriously upsetting and set you back a lot of cash, time and effort. Yeah, I had a particularly difficult moment, actually. I, uh, I missed a flight, but I didn't just miss any flights. I, had, I missed a flight home and I don't even know how I missed it, if I'm honest. So I had been, um, I'd been in Italy and I'd spent two glorious weeks Uh, in Sicily and then in Cinque Terre. And I was in Cinque Terre with my youngest sister. We'd had this beautiful week. And my flight and her flights both left from Pisa Airport. And if you've ever been to Pisa Airport, please, please take heed that it is 
tiny and do not go through security until you really need to, because there is nothing on the other side. <laughs> um, absolutely nothing. Not even, I think there was one plug, you know, for your, for your laptop or your phone charger or whatever. Um, there was just, there is just nothing. Imagine like the smallest airport in the world. So I, my sister and I, we kind of checked out of our apartment. So she was going on the train and I had to get the train anyway. So we decided to go together and I would just be early to my flight. And when I say early, um, I was five hours early for this flight. I was five hours in Pisa airport ahead of time, which is insane. But I was like, you know what? It's no problem. It depends on the airport as well. And so it depends on the airport. You know, in in Singapore airport, for example, they've got bloody shopping malls and there's stuff in some airports. It's like, yes, this isn't even enough time. I totally wish that I this experience to happen to me in that airport because <laughs> Pisa Airport is like the size of my flat, it feels like, which is about 47 meters squared. It is so tiny and I wasn't expecting it and I don't know why I wasn't expecting it. Um, again, me being naive. But anyway, I got there five hours early and I just thought, well, I might as well check in. So I checked in and um, I thankfully I just had carrier luggage and I went and I sat at the gate. And I was there and I had my Kindle and I was completely lost in my world. And there were what was really, really confusing <laughs> to this day. I don't know how I did it. But what was really confusing was that there were three flights to London, to different London airports at the same time, going from the same teeny tiny little room. And I was going to Gatwick. And I don't know how this happened. I still to this day do not know what happened, but I was in the wrong queue. And I was moved into another queue because I was told that my ticket was wrong. And I was just like, okay, well, I must be in this queue then. Okay, fine. It wasn't very well organized. You can imagine it was the heat of the summer, you know, very Italian, very kind of like chaotic in a way. Um, And I, you know, this is totally my fault. I wasn't paying attention. I had lulled myself into a false sense of security by being at the airport and at the gate five hours early. And I had my earphones on and I was reading. And I was in another world. I must have been because I got to the front of the queue and I gave my ticket and the woman just said to me, no. And I said, what? And she said, no, no, this is not your flight. This is. And she pointed outside and no word of a lie. The airplane that I was supposed to be on, the door was shutting. And I was like, I don't understand. And I just said, (laughs) stupidly, I was like, well, can I? can I get on it? <laughs> and and she was just like, no, you can't. And this horror filled my brain. I was just, you know, I, I had a, I had something to do the next day back at home. I wanted to be back at home and it wasn't like I had endless money as well. I was suddenly very, very panicked. I hadn't actually been staying in Pisa. I couldn't just go back to my apartment. I, all these fe- feelings were filling my head. I was like, how am I going to get home? It's seven o'clock. What am I going to do? Where am I going to sleep tonight? And so this panic set in and I, I would never, don't do this, but I ran out of security. I ran like backwards. <laughs> I'm sorry. And like, I ran out. I just thought, what am I going to do? I need to find someone that can help me. And again, Pisa Airport is not like Gatwick. It's not like Stansted. There's not just like people, you know, representatives of the airlines you know, just there waiting for people that have missed their flights. There's like one tiny little office that's at the other end of the airport, which is about, you know, 20 steps away. And 
I basically just had to go and figure out what was going on. So I ran backwards. I mean, there were people shouting at me in Italian because I just ran through backwards security, you know, like on on in the scenes in Love Actually. It wasn't <laughs> like that. But like this crazy mad woman, you know. Um, Did you, sorry, so sorry, I, just to interrupt. Did you try and hmm. negotiate your way onto the flight that you were lining up for? Like, can I just switch? Can I just buy a last minute ticket to get on this flight then if I can't no. catch them? No, this was my problem. So this was all done. But, but this is the, this is the, my train of thinking, right, as well. So this was my like, okay, what am I? I'm a creative problem solver. I will find a, I will find a fucking solution to this. So, but what I had to do, and the woman kindly had told me, is you need to speak to the ticketing people because that was my next plan. So yeah. that was why I was like, like, like as the Americans would say, like hauling ass, you know, like <laughs> running yeah. through the airport to find this woman apparently that was going to help me and by this point though my emotions are at the bed of me I'm crying like tears sobbing tears are streaming down my face and I run past this group of people and I get to the ticket place and the woman basically ah I mean she's not overly nice about the situation even though I'm crying my eyes out but the options for me were there was one more flight I'd missed the next one that was not an option to, you know, to do the paperwork or to get onto it. There also, you know, was, was, was too late and there was too many people on the flight anyway. So I was stuffed. So the next options were, is that there was a flight at nine 30 and I was thinking, great, I can just, how much is this going to cost me? And the woman just said to me, you can't get on that flight. There are no tickets. And I was like, my soul was just like, what am I going to do? Then I, then she said to me, okay. And I, I booked my flights with BA. So I was kind of hoping for a bit more support, but it turns out they weren't that transferable or, or helpful, but the woman was very helpful. But she, the next best options were that I fly two days later when there was a flight What? or I fly, bear in mind, this is a Saturday. I had something to do on the Sunday. Not that it would have been the end of the world, but I also have work on Monday. So I'm panicking, you know, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but I was panicking and, or I could, or I could get a train to Rome and try and get on a flight from there. But that transfer would cost me the best part of 500 euros just to get to Rome and try and transfer my ticket. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, no, not an option. At that time, I hadn't thought through the option that I, if I could get to Milan, I could probably get home with my sister the following day. But that was, that was just not an option in my brain at that moment because I wasn't really functioning. Um, and there's always a way out, right? But I was also like, I wasn't, didn't, I just spent a lot of money on this beautiful holiday and I didn't have a lot of kind of disposable income because I hadn't been, I was, you know, stupidly thinking I'll be paid next week, you know, and now I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was budgeting and thinking like, what was I going to do? And me missing, how I missed this flight, I still don't know. It's my own stupidity, I think. Um, So anyway, then this kind of angel appeared and I will say angel because I didn't know what I was going to do in that moment. And I turned around and this woman was just there. And she just said, have you missed your flight? And I just was like, yeah. Um, she was British. And she just said, I think I might be able to help you. And I said, have you got tickets? And um, she just said, no, but come with me. Because my friend who I'm traveling with, her husband didn't come on holiday with us in the end. So there is a spare seat. And if we can transfer your ticket, if we can do that in time, you can have the ticket. Wow. And I was just like who sent me this angel this fairy godmother because what had happened and she explained to me I to this day can't remember their names um because they were so kind it was two women traveling together with a with a son um and they were so kind and this woman had basically she'd been on her way to the bathroom had seen me run past crying 
and for some reason had felt the need to follow me and see if I was okay. And without that woman doing that, I was stuck. I was completely at a loss. And so I don't know what made her follow me. I think it was probably just seeing another British girl because I think I was probably swearing <laughs> or like, you know, you know, blaspheming all over the place in English. And I think she something just made her follow me, you know, and she did. And she was just like, come with me. And I did. And really quickly, you know, I, I, it, within the whole situation was solved within 25 minutes. I called, I spoke to this woman. I called EasyJet because that was the flight, that was um, their t- the, the ticket, the flight that was going out. And I, um, and I changed the name on the tickets and the woman was so helpful. And I basically, I paid for the full tickets. I gave the woman money there and then I just said, give me your bank details and I'll give you the ticket money. And I bought her a bottle of champagne and, um, and it was just this kind of moment, but I still didn't kind of trust it because I'd been issued this ticket very quickly and it had all been solved very quickly, but I just thought something else can go wrong. But there's these, I mean, these people were just so kind. And I remember thinking, you know, I'll, I'll see you on the flight. I just need to go and have a drink. And I actually sat in the only restaurant that there was. And I had a glass of whiskey and a red wine because my heart rate, I was just like, I mean, the person thought I was absolutely insane. I think they thought I was waiting for a partner or, you know, a traveling buddy, but no, it was me. And I was just like, on one hand, like sip of red wine, sip of whiskey. And I don't drink, I don't make a habit of drinking whiskey a lot, but I was, you know, oh God, I was in another planet. And, uh, and, um, and I just remember texting my mum and saying, oh, by the way, I've missed my flight, but I've got it sorted now. And my mum just said, oh, good, 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 good stuff. Really pleased to hear it, you know, because she, I hadn't taken her through the process and she was out, you know, probably having dinner with friends, but it was just this, this moment of this like magical woman um, and then, you know, the story wasn't completely over because when I got issued my ticket at the check-in again, my, I don't know how this woman had managed it, but the woman I had spoken to hadn't got my name right. So when I had changed my name, my name had been changed to Emma Bianchi. And it was, <laughs> Sorry. it was like, it was like, my name is Emma Baines, right? B-A-I-N-E-S. And my surname was suddenly B-I-A-N-C-E. And I think it was that Bianchi. And for some strange reason, I learned that day that, and this is a tip for anybody, that you can still travel if you have three letters, either in the wrong place or switched around. And I had three. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was on the Oh my gosh, I was on the cusp and there was this moment, this heart stopping moment where I'm at the gates and I've made it this far, you know. Um, I'm, I've been in this airport for like seven, eight hours and I'm there and I'm like, please just take me, please just take me, just let me get on this flight. And they did. And they were so, you know, they were so kind. I think they saw in my eyes, I just needed to get home and they let me on and, you know, it was amazing. And even, even, I didn't even believe it until I was up in the air and I, and I got home and (laughs) you know, what was, what was the worst thing that could happen? You know, I got home four hours later than I was expecting to, it wasn't the end of the world, but it was just the sheer fate. And I am a believer in fate and these things. And that was fate for me. And this woman, you know, I bought, as I said, I bought her a bottle of champagne to say thank you. And I never saw her again. Um, but they were so kind and caring and just went out of their way to make sure I was okay. And I, and I will, you know, forever thank them for that. Um, it was really, you know, and, and that day, you know, I promised to pay it forward.
I love this idea of guardian angels and especially the ones we meet on our travels. I think these people can really change our experience and save our skin. And even if we never see them again, they really do make that lasting impact. I don't know about you, but I've certainly met my fair share since I first started traveling at age 19. So much so that I'm thinking I might do a dedicated episode on this topic later. So definitely stay tuned for that. So now we're going to up the ante a little bit to a story that will have you, I think, sitting on the edge of your seat. This took place many years ago, but still had me sweating when I heard my friend Prue recounting it. We met Prue back in episode one, so if you haven't tuned in, I definitely recommend going back and giving that a listen. But Prue is one of my oldest and dearest friends from back home. Prue is from Sydney originally, but has been living an expat life in Southeast Asia for the best part of a decade. First Singapore, and now she's based in Bangkok. Prue recorded from some sort of bungalow in the forest on an island in Thailand. So again, apologies about the sound quality. This travel story is actually so upsetting that Prue had been chatting to me for a full hour on the topic of travel fuck-ups before she actually remembered it. Talk about compartmentalising in order to cope. Yeah, nothing actually bad happened. (laughs) That's amazing. That's really amazing. Great, but close. Yeah, always a little bit close. A little bit close. Did you ever miss a flight or miss something or fuck something up? Uh, nearly, but not quite. <laughs> Actually, I think we were together. Oh, yeah? Oh, we did sprint. We were, remember when we were running to make the was flight because we'd been hanging out at Starbucks or something? Or like... Yes, because Sid was like, we've got heaps of time. Was that with Sid or was it you? <laughs> it was me, you and Sid. It was on the way to the, the cousin's wedding, I think. Oh, yeah. So then the run, yeah, I've had plenty of airport sprints. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Hang on. There are a couple more. How could I forget? London, 2000 and I want to say four or five, where I got the biggest doozy. I got denied entry from London. I got sent back. Yes. How could I forget? Oh, my God. I was like the... That was such That's the biggest like, travel fuck up of all time. Okay. Okay. That's big the big. You blocked oh it God. out. You blocked it out. You were traumatized. Okay, let's start from the beginning then. Yeah. So this is, yeah, I think this is the ultimate travel fuck up story where, and it really sums up my headspace at the time and just being like, the world is there to explore. <laughs> just like, <laughs> you can take a ticket anywhere. And I'd spent too much time in Asia and just been really relaxed where, if you're in Singapore, you could take a boat to Indonesia and no one checks anything. Like, I mean, they stamp your passport, but no one asks anything. And before that, South America, you can hop across. No one really cares or asks. So then this next big trip was going from Singapore to London. I'd spent time in Singapore seeing my dad. I'd planned to catch up with some friends and surprise a friend yes. at Easter for her birthday. So one or two friends didn't know I was coming. The others were helping me coordinate um, another friend of a friend was like, I work for EasyJet and I can help you get a cheap ticket to Spain when you're going. I might even go with you later in a couple of weeks. And I was like, great, all these plans, no plans, look at me go. <laughs> I remember as the plane was even coming into London, it was like first thing in the morning, the city was lit up with the sunrise and I was writing in my journal about like, <laughs> life is amazing, you can do anything, look at me, adventures, adventures. And so I was on a high and then as I landed... I just must have kept that high and didn't realise in the real world, in, in big cities, you have to answer questions and they're like, what are you doing? 
I was like, I'm just here. I'm surprising a friend. And I was like, another and another one. And I kind of told him my story, which was half a plan, not a plan. One of my Argentinian friends lived in London. And he's like, oh, we'll catch up for a few days. And I mentioned him. And she's like, whoa, who are these people? What are they doing here? How do I know they're not here illegally? How do I know you're not going to? And then the questions just didn't stop. And she's like, I'm sorry, do you mind taking a seat? And then it just escalated. And me not having any idea how these things worked, just the more truth I told, the more bizarre it sounded, the worse it sounded. And then I ended up being detained all day. I had friends outside the airport who had gotten there at 7.30 a.m. to meet me, to bring me back, to set up, to surprise for the other friend. Um, and they just waited. And, and I had a little Nokia, you know, little text message phone. So we could, I managed to say like, hey, I think I'm stuck. And as I got put on the waiting seat, a guy next to me was like, what happened? I don't know. What are you, why are you waiting? And he's like, oh, I'm from, I can't remember where he's from, but he's like, they're questioning me because they think I don't have a work visa, but I do. And so they have to double check it. He's like, but there was this Brazilian girl and she just got sent back. And I was like, what? They but do that? Just to yeah. interrupt for a second, like, yeah. so why was it questionable? Like, okay, you, can you just tell me a bit more about the details that you didn't mm. have that you weren't able to provide? Yes. So when she was saying how long are you staying, I couldn't answer because I didn't have my onward ticket to Spain. Oh, rookie mistake. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I don't make plans. I am spontaneous. <laughs> you can't do that. And then she said, how, how long, well, like, I had, a, I had the, ticket, the return ticket out of there, but that was 10 months later. And for an Aussie, that, that was allowed. But then I made some notes in Singapore. Oh, yeah, that comes out later. So the no, first question it, was like... It actually, it's, it's not allowed. You can't stay in 10 months in the UK without a visa. Wait, hang on. 10 months. Oh, no, but I, yeah, yeah, sorry, not allowed. But I couldn't prove it. That was the main ah, bit. Yes. Okay. So even though I had the exit, I'm like, I'm going to be coming back and leaving then. She's like, that, yeah, that, like you said, you're not allowed. That doesn't mean anything. And you'll probably work illegally which is not allowed. And I was like, well, I'm not because I'm going to go to Spain. And then, and it just kind of got, oh, it just escalated. And then all... Didn't they try and call someone that, like... Yes. I would say, what about the friends who are waiting to meet you? Why weren't they calling them to, to prove, like, couldn't you prove, like, who you were meeting? Or, or did yeah. they try to get in touch with people? Well, they did. And then they wanted, they got the details of the friend I was surprising. Oh, and she didn't, didn't answer. Yeah, but she didn't answer because she was at work. Then the friends who I was meeting, and then one of those friends mentioned, oh, yeah, who's going to go to Spain? And then made some comment about maybe work there, but nothing was planned and I hadn't any visa. But because that was said, the lady, the officer got suspicious and then was just like, we, can't, we don't believe you're going to leave and we don't believe you're not going to work. But that was after, like, searching my bags, fingerprinting me, finding notes from, like, a business plan from months before for a Sydney-based thing with, with, a, with, a, with a friend of mine. And so when they saw that, they're like, no, we just don't... Denied. And so after eight hours of being in this room and then, like, trying to make phone calls and people being like, what is going on? They're like, frog march me, two guys on either side, back onto a plane. But they're like, you have to go back the way you came. And that was back via Frankfurt to Singapore, but I was like, no, this doesn't work because I have a round-the-world ticket because I'm a traveller and my return ticket is from somewhere else, Hong Kong or something. And she was like, well, I'm sorry, that's just it. So I'm like, 
is my bag getting sent across the world and I'm getting sent back to Singapore, but I, I can't get home because the flight's from Hong Kong. But somehow I just, I just remember crying and walking up to a desk, the Qantas desk at, in Singapore and showing them the, the official document from the UK and they just, they just put me on a plane back to Sydney. And I'm just like, oh, stamped a few things and it was done. ultimate oh i think after that i think that just that so that stopped me in my tracks for a few years as you can imagine so we've shared some pretty stressful situations so far but have you ever come close to death on your travels i'd now like to introduce my cousin luce I first met Luce in 2014 in Eindhoven, the town where my Dutch grandfather was born and where Luce and many extended family members are from. She's technically my second cousin, but she definitely feels like the sister I never had. Apart from being related, we've also been living in some ways parallel lives for decades before we even met. So there's a lot of that uh, unspoken understanding between us, which is awesome. I can't wait for you to hear more of Luce's incredible stories in upcoming episodes. She's just an amazing person, but for now, Luce is going to share some pretty chilling tales of when she found herself in or narrowly managed to avoid potentially life-threatening scenarios. Luce is dialing in from the rainforest in Costa Rica, of all places. I moved to Costa Rica like two months ago. So I'm in the south, on the south coast, um, and I'm actually in the middle of the jungle right now. So I'm living with my best friend and it's so beautiful, like we are surrounded by the jungle, by life, by monkeys, by toucans, by like millions of insects I've never seen before. So that's a, <laughs> that's a new experience coming from Holland. So yeah. So while I was the adventurous Aussie girl exploring Europe and Morocco in my late teens and early 20s, Luce was the daring Dutch girl travelling around South and Central America. During this time, she had a few sketchy moments. First up, Honduras. It was the first time I encountered, like, that that graveness of poverty, poverty, you know, like, people were very poor and a lot of children on the street and uh, people with big guns in front of, of stores and stuff like that. People with tattoos on their faces and very, like... I'm like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the rough image. so intense. <laughs> yeah, right? Especially when, when, they're, when they're, like, have those those eyes, you know, like the red reddish eyes and, like, this this intense stare. I mean, I don't know. Like, it was, it was pretty, like, different from <laughs> the little town I was coming from. So it was like, all right, cool. Uh, cool from a distance you know <laughs> no, I don't want to be just around it too much but yeah <laughs> seeing it like don't get too close with the face tattoo yeah. machine gun person yeah 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 so you can observe it from a distance and but well yeah so I visited her and then I thought oh my god South America that's my vibe and so I went exploring and that's a long time ago so Google was not was it what it is right now yeah. it was a lot of situations you know and couldn't really find a lot so I I saw Honduras and I thought well Honduras sounds cool not based on anything else than the word 
sounded cool. So yeah, it wasn't not really a lot of information. So I, I was in contact with this guy, and he said, well, you can do your internship here. So I went with three three friends uh, to do our in internship in Honduras. So we arrived like long story short, obviously, and we saw like eight locks on our front door with a lot of <laughs> bob wire and all that. And I was like. That's interesting. <laughs> Do we really need all these logs? Like, why? Why are all these logs here? Well, I was like 19, 20, so I was very young and not aware of these kinds of things, obviously. And then yeah. the first night, I was sleeping in a back room, so there were like a few walls between me and the the, the street in front of us. And then we were like. <laughs> And, and I was like sitting up straight, and like, what is that noise? And then it hit me. It's like, is that, are that, is that gun? Are they guns? What the fuck? And then my friends were sleeping at the other room. They're like, <laughs> like laying on the ground. Like, what is that? What is happening? And I started laughing like a lunatic because who laughs at that? But it's like, oh my god, we're living in a wild, wild west, right? Yeah, yeah. But we kind of did, yeah. So. A lot of people in our street got killed during that six months. Like, oh yeah, the baker just got shot. Oh, really? Oh, oh, how unfortunate. You know? Yeah. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing, but it's... <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny, but it's... I'm like horrified yeah. for you, actually. I'm horrified for your parents. Um, yeah, they didn't know, obviously. So I, I didn't tell them when we were there because we couldn't do anything about it. Like, we find out that... Actually, the city where we lived in was a very, like, a very big epicenter of this gang, uh, the MS-13. In case you're not familiar, MS-13 is an international gang notorious for drug and human smuggling, murder, and lots of other delightful things. They were found in LA, but have strongholds in Central America, and Honduras is one of those kind of epicenters for MS-13. And... Um, like the, the, the area that we were living in, that's where they lived. So, a big swallow there. And, but, but people guaranteed us, like, hey, we've never seen people from Europe or whatever part of the, the world you are. Like, uh, so we are going to protect you. They're not going to do anything because they know what you're doing. We, like, we, we were working in what was uh, children's, um, yeah. Uh, how do you say that orphanage, an orphanage for children? So right. they were very appreciated of our work, so we were safe as we were told. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great to know that even a gang member donning full face tattoos and assault weapons will draw the line somewhere. I was in Honduras and we were like at Semana Santa, that's like Eastern. East, Eastern, I could say that, like the holiday with um, the Eastern yeah. Bunny. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, a minus the and <laughs> yeah. yeah, with the chocolate and looking at all that, and um, we were like, "Hey, let's go to this beach place. Very much like fun and a lot of things going on." And then we were talking and drinking, obviously. And uh, there was this fight a few meters away from me, and this guy pulled a gun, and it's like, I was looking at it again, like, "What is what is that?" Like. A gun. Is that a gun? And people were like, oh no, a gun, run! In Spanish, obviously. Yeah. But I was looking at it, like, I was, what is this? Like, what is going on? And then this guy shot that guy in the face. 
like right in the what? face. And I couldn't stop looking and somebody took my hand and it pulled me away from that moment. And I felt because it was, yeah, it was too strong for me to pull. So I fell down and, I was, and still I was not in panic. It's just like watching it and like what happened, you know, like, like very much in shock I guess but in a very yeah. peaceful peaceful way and later we talked about it it's like why didn't you run like I don't know like I don't know I don't know we heard a lot of gunshots when we were in Honduras so that was sort of more normal in a way and again like what do you do when someone pulls a gun I don't know that's not in my in my in my strategies like a gun you run you know like I don't know like I'm not I'm from a tiny town yeah. so I don't know that was not yeah, so a lot of those things happening for me in Honduras and also in, in uh, Colombia and Venezuela. I've, I've, I've been through some of that stuff, like being in the wrong time, wrong place, but at the right time or something, you know, like right, right timing yeah. of not being exactly in the space where where the bullets were flying. So Yeah, I, wait, I think you told me a story once um, about a bus that you might have caught. Oh, yeah, um, in Colombia, can you, yeah. Can, yeah, can you yeah. tell me that story? Oh my god, that was the worst. So we were um, in Colombia, somewhere around Medellin, and I, most people know this by the series of uh, Paulo Escobar, that was his area, right? So <laughs> it was a pretty dangerous area still in that time. Like the FARC was very much uh, like active around that area too. Just a side note for context here. FARC, or the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, People's Army, was a guerrilla group founded in the 60s. And they actually signed a peace deal in 2016. So Luce is travelling before 2016 when this happened. Also, since the peace deal, organised criminal groups have stepped into that void and definitely continue that violence. So needless to say, um, she wasn't in a safe place. So I was struggling with a buddy and with a friend and she said like, oh, I'm not feeling that great. Are you sure you want to take this bus? Like, well, I don't know, like if you don't feel that great, we maybe can take the next bus. And she was, normally she's very persistent in going and doing it anyway, despite of how she feels. So we said, all right, it's not, that not, that let us not take that bus. And so we took the next one a little later. Like the next day um, because there was one bus going and then the next day we arrived at that, that place and we talked to people and we said oh yeah we we're supposed to arrive a little bit earlier and they said well good that you didn't because this bus that you were actually wanted to go to with that was robbed and pulled over and people were killed and raped we were like what yeah, that whole they they stopped the bus. They took all the women out. They killed I don't know who exactly, but yeah, that was like what? What, what? we yeah we were supposed to be on that fucking same bus, and then we realized oh my god, this is actually dangerous where we are, and maybe we should leave. And then yeah, I don't know that I I think that's a part of being in 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 certain areas of the world and being a little younger too and not, not really thinking too much about the stuff that can happen yeah that was pretty intense to to hear that and as well you can let it go again because yeah what can you do right yeah i guess that's that bravery that comes at that age but i mean the fact that you listen to your like 
the fact that yeah, I mean yeah. someone was looking after you because really or some, there was something at play there because yeah, I mean definitely. like the fact that you would normally that your friend would normally push through like yeah. it was meant to be that you went on that bus and I, I just that's yeah, one I of feel the most that way. Yeah. scary things yeah. I've ever heard actually in terms of yeah no I feel that way too and I feel like I've been in a lot of these situations that was just like all went well because of that like trusting that instinct or something you know mm. like trusting the instinct of not going or, or maybe just take that extra step or staying yeah. at a certain like area of the street like follow your gut yeah and when you yeah, have a vibe yeah. like let's say you arrive yeah, at a yeah. hotel or you yeah, or you're yeah. sitting in a carriage or you're on the road and you you get yeah. a feeling something's not quite right and then you take yeah. action and it actually saves your yeah. life yeah, um, yeah, and I probably not know like how many times it actually saved us, right? Because you didn't went through with a certain, yeah, like decision you wanted to make, but then you didn't. But yeah, you don't know the consequence because you took another turn. Whether or not you're a spiritual person who believes in fate, I do think that this topic of a split decision affecting your life and taking you on a totally different path or outcome is really fascinating as it relates to travel. So before I say goodbye for now, I'd love to hear from you. Have you had a close call while traveling or on a holiday where you narrowly escaped and lived to tell the tale? Or where, by trusting your gut, your journey turned out for the best? Or even, have you had a travel fuck-up that is just absolutely hilarious and you'll never forget? I'd really love for you to share your stories with me on Instagram at promiseitwon'tbeboringpod, all one word. And I'd also be eternally grateful if you're enjoying the show to please give it a follow and a good review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help um, me share my stories with even more people. See you next time. Bye.